Good morning, saints. Don't you love this weather? I don't, but anyway. <laughs> Although I know, and we're all praying for Brother Horovitz to get healed, because he loves this weather. Um, the Daily Bible was just up there for a minute. L Linda, did everything get said that needed to be said? Okay, we're all good to go. So if you're helping her, make sure you catch her after service. That's this coming Saturday. And there's a lot going on. So my staff are here. I have a ordination up north. I feel terrible. The timing was off. I hate when that happens. But anyway, it happened. So, uh, but everybody, make it work. And I'll expect good, good results. Good morning, Mr. Derek. Good morning, sir. It's good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you too, ma'am. <laughs> All right, we are together as an assembly. For those of you who are visiting and wondering, are they always this strange here? The answer is yes, uh, especially because I'm here, and that makes it automatically strange. We have been going through the daily Bible together. Does anybody have a copy with them actually in their hand? No, see, I thought I, I meant to grab it off my, uh, my what, where I work, you know, my desk, because uh, I have one there. And uh, we're going through it together. And here's the issue. Uh, I have asked for people to turn in questions because during the summer we kind of relax a little and do Q&A. Now, for those of you who've been here before, you know that you can ask me questions during any service. I'm a little bit of a renegade that way. I welcome it. When people say, I don't understand this or could you explain that, I think that the early church was a lot less formal than we experience it, and I think people had questions and they wanted to know, and the person who was instructing, gift of teaching, maybe, maybe it was the Apostle Paul on occasion, but other individuals who were shepherding the assembly answered their questions, I believe in scratching where it's itching, rather than speaking out about something You're like, what does that have to do with me? So this morning, I... Um, I have uh, an encouragement. I don't know whether people fell behind. Anybody fall? No, nobody fell behind. Oh, I'm so relieved. I think people are falling into fibbing, but um, my wife fell behind. So does that make you feel better? All right, my, and I, I still, what's that? In that case, I'm finally going to come clean. If people fall behind, don't quit. Don't quit. Just keep plowing. And uh, next year, we'll go through it again. And then by the time the end of two years are done, from this end of this year, you'll be caught up. You know, and then the, the, the avid readers will have gone through twice. But don't, don't be discouraged by the fact you fell behind. It happens every time. Every time in any church that we've shared this, people fall behind. Okay? And then there are some of those who are like, I'm already done. You know, they letting you know. I'm not even done yet. I'm, I'm ahead, but I'm not done. So anyway, now, the reason I bring that up is because I wonder if that's why when I asked for questions, I didn't get any. I'm not mad, really. No, I'm, everybody relax. They're looking at me like, what? I, didn't, I did get a couple of questions from some young people in a family that probably can answer all the questions. 
but I'm going to use those to launch into today's message. And so I thought, well, this gives me an open, uh, you know, a blank slate. I can do what I want. And so what I'd like to do this morning is do the daily Bible Q&A, a brief history of the world. Sounds like a movie. Hmm. I wonder if that means something. Brief history of the world. So if you're visiting with us, this is what we're doing together as a congregation. You have any question at all on any Sunday, you're free to ask. And also, uh, Mike mentioned the box back there. Take the little card in there, write your name, or you don't even have to put your name. Just write the question in there. As long as it's about the Bible and not, you know, whether my registration expired or something like that. Drop that in the box and we will try to answer the question. So with all of that in mind... You ready to go? Okay, yes, Pastor John, we're ready. Brian, thanks for turning the air conditioners on last night, or we would have been suffering today. We really would have been. Let's pray together. We cast ourselves on your mercy, Lord. I love that song we were just singing. You're the Lord of history. It's not an accident. We're not an accident. Lord, the world we're living in today is completely confused about this. And we're grateful, God, that you have given insight to those who have come to trust you, put their faith in you, resting in you, believing in what you have done. One of the songs we sang said that we are relying on that finished work of the blood of Jesus on our behalf. And God... It makes all the difference, and your spirit can illumine our minds so that we might understand your word. So I'm praying this morning that rather than just doing um, church, if I can say that, religion, we would be open-eared listening. Are you trying to say something to me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the spirit that you've given. We pray for those who may be uh, listening in, that have not settled this issue of what is most important in the universe. What shall it profit a man or a woman if he gains the whole world, if he sets things straight, if he uh, makes political office, if he becomes uh, a Fortune 500 CEO? What use is it if he gains all of that and loses his soul? Help us, Lord, to see things from your perspective. We thank you that you love us. Instruct us today. Holy Spirit, uh, take the word of God however you want to use it in the hearts of people and help your servant who is inadequate left to himself. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, I thought I should start at a good place. So I want to go back to the book of Genesis. That's the beginning. Right? The beginning. And in the book of Genesis is the story of a great and famous individual, and we refer to him as the father of the faith, and that was Abraham. And those of you who started got at least that far, because we're only talking chapter 12 of Genesis, all right? So that was two years ago we got this down. So let me put that passage on the screen. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. 
I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Now, there's an interesting expression. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to back up just one for a second. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who makes light of you or disregards you is actually what the Hebrew is saying. I'll set my face against them because you're the one I'm choosing. You're the one that's going to bring some truth in this experience of the walk of faith. And through your family line, the next verse speaks to how that could actually be true. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. How did that come about? How did it come about? The Messiah came through his line, right? Through Abraham, through the children of Israel. Eventually, the Messiah is going to come into the world. Here's the next promise after the book of Genesis opens with the fall, which we're going to look at in just a minute. God promises uh, one day the seed of the woman will have his head crushed by the enemy or his, uh, his heel wounded by the enemy, and he will crush the head of Satan with his heel. So God intends from the very beginning, I kind of want to just kind of set the level, if I could, that God's intention in creation and all that is, is to bless, not to curse, to bless. Does that make sense? That he is for us, that he has goodness in his heart, he is good, and that his mind is to bless us, his intention is to bless. Some of you know uh, the book... uh, the Purpose Driven Life, right? Uh, Rick Warren, pastor over in California. I've been on that campus, quite huge, quite impressive. Of course, if you have a really big church, you must be doing something wrong, right? No, I don't believe that at all. And one of the reasons, and I've said it before, that I love and respect Rick Warren so much is that he really does put his money where his mouth is. He is a kingdom-oriented person. All of the the millions of copies that have been sold, all that money goes to kingdom purposes. He doesn't keep any of it. And when I hear that, I go, this guy's in. He's really in. He wrote The Purpose Driven Life, and uh, it makes a handy little track. What on earth am I here for? I just want to read this opening. It all starts with God. It's not about you. All right, let's all go home now. I don't, what? That just can't be right. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. There's a beginning. God brought it into being. He knows what he's doing, and we're his offspring by creation, if you will. He intends to bless us, and so if I want to receive blessing, I kind of have to get that thing in order. So let's go to creation and fall. This brief history, it's really not just the history of the world, it's really redemption that we're looking at, God's involvement on our behalf to rescue us. Let's go all the way to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was so-so. No, it was very good, right? Not just good, very good. 
God saw all that he made, and it was very good. There was an evening, there was a morning, the sixth day, Genesis 1.31. So created order was a good thing. This has implications for the world in which we live. Do you understand that we all have the same data? Human beings have all the same data available. The problem is how we interpret the data. Where am I going with this? Well, last year, I'm kind of disappointed I couldn't get some time to, and it's, not, it's nobody's fault but mine, but there's a seminary up in Quebec. Now, I don't know if I would have bothered going and everything would have been in French anyway, so I would have been at a loss, but there was a seminar up in Quebec. They were dealing with creation and Genesis, and one of the lectures was the evidential arguments for a real Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that that could actually be scientifically defensible? Yes. We all have the same data. The question is, what is your worldview and how do you interpret that data? Is this description based in reality? That's the question. I'm convinced it is. And... The other side of that whole argument, when you're looking at all the data in the world, whether you assess that this is the result of an accident, whether it's the result of the, you know, by the way, I do believe it is a big bang. God said bang and bang. But is it simply an accident? If that is true, then I have to believe several things by faith. Doesn't matter whether I call myself a scientist or whether I think I'm a believer. In, a, in divine creation of some sort, it all requires faith. Because if I believe in, in evolution, for example, and by the way, this isn't a lecture on evolution. I was just thinking about this. And I, the fact that I thought about it means I had to tell you, you know, because I actually thought something. So if we're simply an accident, then on what basis do we say anything can be right and wrong? On what basis can you make moral assessments and say you can't do that? Well, how can you if it's simply the result of accidental biology, what have you? Anyway, we don't have time to go into all of that, but uh, a defense of the reality of an original Adam and Eve. If that's true, the implications in our generation are profound because it says everything that he made was good, very good, including when he said, let us make man in our image. And it's very precise language there. Male and female, he created them in the image of God, both of them in the image of God. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. But something went wrong, right? Something went wrong. First question I'm going to bring up in just a second. Here's what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Anybody recognize that language? Here's where the trouble begins. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Didn't he say that uh, you're not supposed to eat from any tree of the garden, which is not what he said? And she corrects him. And then he says, well, you're getting it wrong. Uh, he doesn't really mean that. Actually, God's holding out on you. And that's where the lies begin and where the trouble begins. So let me uh, start with the very first question that provoked this sermon. You ready? This is from one of our young people. What's the backstory on the serpent in the garden? Why did God allow Satan in there to tempt them to begin with? 
Is this because genuine love must involve choice? And was the serpent indwelled by Satan or was the serpent Satan himself? I don't get that. All he created was good, question mark. Yeah, the answer is yes. Well, what do you think, class? I'm not going to answer everything. You're going to solve this with me, right? I want to answer all of those. So what's the backstory on the serpent? Why did God allow him in there in the first place? Man had to make... So would you agree with this statement? Is it because genuine love must involve a choice? I see people saying yes. I know I'm making you think. That's the idea. Yeah, I think that is a logical answer, right? Because there's two ways he could make humanity. Chatty Cathy dolls. Anybody remember Chatty Cathy dolls? You've got to be old to remember Chatty. I love you, I love you. I'm not going to dignify that with a response. Anyway. <laughs> By the way, my office will be open later in the week uh, for marriage counseling. Anyhow. Exactly. I love you, God. I love you, God, which is no choice at all. If we're given freedom to choose, then there's a risk involved. Yes, sir. It's all very good. Yes. Yes. And that's where, okay, so, oh boy, now look what I did. I'm, I, you know what? All the, all the clips that I have ready, forget it. We're never going to get to them. We're never going to get to any of it. His love is always steadfast, just like your parental love is steadfast to your children, which doesn't mean you don't get angry with them. Does that mean that his love is not dependent upon a choice, which means genuine love is not dependent on a choice? No. For us, it's a choice. And actually, God's love is a choice. It's his nature and his choice as well. We're made in the image of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? We have volition, we have intellect, and we have will. That's what makes us a person. And we're made personally in the image of God, as well as some mystery that we don't fully get. And by the way, we're in trouble on this. This male and female thing is a reflection of the divine nature somehow. Okay, well, we'll come back to that. Did I answer your question? No, and I'll tell you why. And we have, we have a Reformed brother in the room today, and we would all say, right, it's all for his glory. He knew we were going to blow it, and he chose to create anyway that in his children he might be glorified, and he might put his affection on us. Yes, ma'am. He has. Oh, boy. Now we have to think. Now, now we're talking about time and space. And uh, well, what's that? He's not restricted by time. He's outside of time. Um, who was the guy that just... Yeah, Stephen Hawking, his history of what time and space. Some, what was the name of that book? Somehow time, yeah, whatever it is. Somehow time can fold back on itself. I don't understand all that. Can you get your head around that completely? I can't. But God is somehow outside of time. All right, He's eternal. Somehow when we enter into this next world, we're going to experience some of that. I don't know how that's going to work exactly. But he's been around. Did he wait a long time? Well, he's eternal. Can we grasp that? No, we can't. 
And going back to, um, to Ben's question, which is frustrating him, my answer is, I think, yeah, is that ultimately we have to come to the point, and this is part of our growth in, in, in discipleship, and I have mentioned it at other times, can you come to the point of resting in the fact that God is good and he's sovereign and he knows what he's doing? Now, according to the word, that's true. Whether we like that, that might be another subject, right? And for his, and well, no, no, that's not automatically true that it's illogical. From our perspective, we may not like it, but it doesn't mean it's illogical. There's a difference. No. <laughs> no. Sir. Yeah, now since the fall, yes. All right, now since the fall, he uses that for good somehow. And for the believer, we have that confidence, all right? But can we fully understand what... Um, let me give you the simple answer. If I'm reading this question, why did that happen? Or what, what was with that? He created all was good. I don't get that. Neither do I completely, right? Who does fully get it? But I do know that I'm here, and I do know that he created, and I do know that um, he is moving things toward an appointed end, and he has proven himself to be true and good in the here and now. So when I add all of that up, I say, I will believe the rest of what it says, even though I may not fully grasp all of it, all right? So I let too many people ask questions, but that was good. All right, so now people are going, really? Let's go on. Let me, uh, let me move us ahead. And first I have to find where my notes are. There they are. So, the fall was in fact a problem. <laughs> Would you agree? And mankind is up against it. Now, God has chosen to bring us into relationship with him by faith. And that's why I started with Abraham, who was before the law, before any rules. But left to ourselves, we get far afield from walking by faith with him. Abraham walked by faith. Right? He's the father of the faith. Ultimately, God is trying to get us to walk by faith by relying on his spirit working in our lives, right? But sometimes, would you agree, human beings need some guidance? Anybody agree with that? So how did this happen? Was this just as capricious as uh, my brother thinks it might be? Let me show you this uh, reminder. You might remember this part of the history of the world. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15. Hey. Ten, ten commandments for all to obey. Enough. Sometimes that's what we think, though, right? It's like, oh, he just made up these rules. Just, just, oh, I'll make this a rule and I'll make that a rule. It's kind of capricious or an accident, if you will. 
but it's not true at all. Let me just show you what the scripture says in the book of Deuteronomy. You'll recognize this great language. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. That is a wonderful passage out of Deuteronomy, is it not? Why? Well, the next verse tells us why. Actually, it's ahead. I'm backing up now to the earlier verse, verse 3. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Why did God give those instructions? Because they're to bless us. All right? to bless us. It's not to be capricious, it's to give us the guidance that we actually need. There were several things that um, came to me in terms of uh, these instructions and the questions that I asked about or I asked for and I got these questions and one was from last year. I don't think I ever answered it. Let me sh share this one with you. Samuel 16, 14, 19, and on in the Daily Bible, it says, An evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul. Can you tell me how it is that the Lord can, would send an evil spirit? Anybody remember that? That's way back, too, in the early days of Israel. How did that happen? Is God sending? No. Here's what happens. Sending, as in his sovereignty. Here we go to this issue of sovereignty. Saul was a rebel. Saul kept disobeying. And in the process of disobedience, the Lord allows opposition to come upon him. He's allowing the enemy to do what his nature insists on doing, which is deceiving and aggravating and depressing him or whatever it might be. And that principle is taught all through Scripture, actually. Book of James, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Somehow we read that and it says, well, kind of like think about God once in a while. Don't put up your dukes, and everything's going to be okay. You see, it's like math. One and one is two. I have to submit to God, resist the enemy, and then I will have victory over him. Oh, absolutely. Just like people in, you know. No, you know what? There's two, two dimensions of this. One is his principles are communicated to us so that we can receive an inherit blessing, right? That's why. So when we deliberately say, I'm not going to follow that, how can I expect blessing? How can I not? If I'm going to text while I'm driving down the road, what do you think is going to happen? Okay. Does it matter? Yes, your life matters. No, that would be a fatalism, right? And we're not living in fatalism as believers. We have hope. 
we have expectation, we have the joy of the Lord as our strength. Those are the things that we receive because we are followers of the Lord Jesus, right? And our lives matter. Every life matters. And in fact, uh, I, it's interesting to me how many non-Christians speak that life to kids in kids' clubs, etc., trying to get a person to recognize your life matters. Don't throw it away. Don't let it be trashed, whatever, right? How much more we as believers should be parked on that? So much more. So, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you, that you might multiply greatly just as the Lord has commanded. And um, I guess I already spoke to that issue of coming out from under blessing. I guess that's what I'm trying to communicate. God's principles are communicated to us to bless us, not to put a noose around our neck or, you know, it feels like a bit, a bridle, a bit, if you will. It's to bring blessing. And when we bring ourselves out from under it, that's when we cause opposition to ourselves. We often bring it to ourselves. By the way, one of the big mistakes Christians make, here it comes, is, um, well, does that mean everything that bad happens is because I'm being disciplined or whatever? No, we don't know. Ultimately, I have to be walking with the Lord and listen to his spirit and find out, am I resisting? And a funny thing I've noticed about the spirit is that if I'm resisting or if I'm disobeying him, I know it. If you're alive in Christ, you know it. You start to discover it. Ma'am. Thinking about the question about the back story. The back story, yes. Mostly. So the backstory is, you know, who is the Satan? Who is the serpent? Why was he there? How did he get there? Yeah. Do you know? Well, there are, there are, <laughs> some, there are some indications in yeah. Scripture. Yeah. And again, you said it's how you interpret it. Yeah. The, the, uh, the passage in Genesis, which talks about the serpent, by the way, this is kind of depending on your worldview of what was created. Do you believe animals had the ability to talk? Communicate or talk? Well, oh, we know they communicate, yeah, but... This, uh, there's, a, there's a prophet who has a donkey speak to him, remember? Uh, did, so anyway, the serpent, the, what's that? There they go, yeah. <laughs> there's something there, but anyway, the fact is the serpent, the scripture says, is, I think, possessed by the enemy at that point, right? The snake is speaking, right? And the identification with that snake, the serpent, is the name tag that gets stuck on Satan down the road. The great serpent, the devil who was thrown down out of heaven. By the way, all that God created was good. Somehow there was choice available to the angelic realm. And that's before we come on the scene. The angelic realm has a rebellion that goes on. And Satan and his angels, as they're called, are those who rebelled. 
and those who stayed faithful to God are called in the scripture, here's an interesting phrase, the elect angels. I thought only humans could be elect that were called of God and rescued by God and born again by the Spirit. Well, the scripture calls them elect angels, and I think what that refers to is that Satan and his angels, sometimes people ask, can they ever change? Can they be converted? Should we feel sorry for Satan? No. He's secured in his rebellion, and the holy angels have been secured in their holiness. And the same thing, I believe, happens to true Christians. First, we're, we're lost, and we're separated from God. We're unholy. And then when he rescues us, we are elect and secured in election. So the, angel, the, the fallen angels are the ones that rebelled and attacked, and there's the story. Right? And the rest is history, if you will. But also what you said, redemption and the glory of God in being the redeemer who he is would not have happened if there hadn't been that choice to rebel. Blessing and curse. Guidance that God gives us, trying to help us along as we go. The last thing I want to talk about is being lost and found. Same data all human beings came from one, if we believe the Genesis account. I want to put this scripture up on the screen from the book of Acts. Paul is speaking of that past history. God made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. There's a whole section in there in between. In him we live and move and have our being and all of that great reality. And then it goes on one more. In other words, human beings coming from one place, spread out over the globe. We are taught sometimes in school that uh, man begot, became more lofty in his thinking and eventually decided that monotheism was a good idea. Actually, I think it went the opposite. It started with people knowing God, Adam and Eve and his family, and the further out we got, the more decay in our thinking occurred, and the further away from the truth we got. You all know the uh, second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes from a state of repair to disrepair, and all you have to do is plant a garden. You'll see how quickly that proves to be true. Everything decays, and it certainly was true throughout Scripture. The children of Israel included, who were given guidance and given the word of God. By the time you got in your daily Bible to the book of Judges, it said everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and they were far from the principles. One of the worst books in the scripture, right, as far as man's behavior, the book of Judges. Things go from repair to disrepair. So the next verse says this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. <clears throat> One of the questions I got was, if everybody knows... Uh, that there's a savior and the truth about Jesus, all of that, which by the way, not everyone does know. But if everyone knows that God died for us and agree that that's true, why are there different churches? Why don't they all just make one big church? Yikes. <laughs> now on one hand, God has made one big church. 
I love listening to people who are taking flack from the world saying, why doesn't your church do this? Why doesn't your church help the poor? Why doesn't your church seek social justice? Why doesn't your church that, 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 that? Some of the best uh, evangelical spokesmen say, my church does. Not my specific church, maybe, although we have our hands on one thing, but the church for 2,000 years has done all of those kind of things. So much of the pushback on social wrong has come out of Christianity. You know, whether it was abolition, whether it was serving those who were mentally ill, who used to be put away and treated terribly, whatever it was, it was often Christians who were driving the social change for good. So there's an answer in which the church, which is one, the true church, really does do a lot of those good things. But why do we have different churches? Why do you have so many? Well, because left to ourselves, we start to decay. Does anybody remember a few years? Oh, it's been all through different periods. I've quoted from Richard Loveless. That quote looks like this. If we... Periods of spiritual decline occur in history because the gravity of indwelling sin keeps pulling believers first into formal religion and then into open apostasy. The downward gravity of sin is at work. Some people don't believe the gospel, and so they, they manufacture some new religion. Other people do believe the gospel, but then we start disagreeing about whatever it might happen to be. And so down through the ages, sometimes negatively, but also sometimes positively, churches have multiplied or split or divided depending on the issue. Sometimes it's negative because we're fighting over the wrong things. Other times it's been because we have discerned that the scripture says this and we're not obeying that. And so we choose to obey it and change it up, if you will. So that's why... Yes, sir. Read that in layman's terms. Periods of, all right, so spiritual decline. The church historically has moved forward by, I'll call revivals, awakenings, whatever, right? The beginning of the church in the first century swept the Roman Empire, then there were wanings, then there were risings, different movements. If you read the history of the church, you find the Waldensians and others, the Moravians, down through the generations, there's been a move of the Spirit that has helped the church rise up, I'm going to say it this way, to normalcy, to being normal and alive. And when they do that, there are usually in-gatherings. Thousands of people come into the family of God. And then we get comfortable, and then we slide, just like we've experienced in our generation, right? We slide, we've, it becomes ho-hum, it becomes machinery, and uh, we need another awakening, right? So that's what that means. Spiritual decline occurs in history because the gravity of indwelling sin. This was a revelation, right? Total depravity. We all have it. Now, when we hear the word total depravity, the first thing we think is, you're saying that people are as awful as they can possibly be. No, that's not what we're saying. Total depravity means the entire person, mental, uh, mind, 
intellect, will, emotion, every part of my being has been tainted by sin. It's affected. And somewhere in my life, that pull gains, an, gains a victory. And when it happens in the church life, that's when we slide down. So that's what that's talking about. The gravity of indwelling sin pulls us down to make wrong choices. And the spirit is grieved. The power of the spirit shuts down. And we're slowed down in terms of our mission in the world, right? And that keeps pulling us down first into formal religion, where we're just doing the surface. And then when it really gets bad, we start denying the truth. We start falling away from the truth. You mean us right now in this room? A little bit, maybe, huh? Yeah. Yeah, depending on where you are. There are places around the globe where the gospel is on fire and people are coming into the kingdom in droves, right? America's not on that list. Although there are places where churches are lively and they're bearing fruit. And by the way, I believe that's one of the reasons God called me here is for us to move into that, that we're fruit-bearing assembly. Sir. That's right. Yeah. And a, a, yeah. The word apostasy means to fall away. To fall away, right? That's what that means. That's good. So I'm not going to park on a particular social issue, but let me just mention this. This coming weekend, I am uh, going to be serving with a, a team of pastors to ordain the brother that came and spoke here named Gary Ingram. Some of you may remember him. He ministers to those who are gender challenged. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, churches... Well, let me just read a couple of things that he says in his philosophy of ministry. This would be an example of where we move into formal religion where there's no power to see transformation happen or slide into open apostasy. So Gary has uh, just been... Uh, radically changed and, and uh, seen his ministry flourish. He was just down in the city last week with Brooklyn Tab and other places trying to get footholds, if you will, little um, you know, bases of operation for churches to minister to those people that have been duped. That's probably the easiest way to put it. God has placed an equal but different revelation, the image of himself within man and woman, Genesis 1. His desire is for redeemed sons and daughters to cooperatively reflect his image, honoring one another and powerfully revealing who he is to a broken and hostile world. Do you realize that in, in marriage, for example, we got the newlyweds back, which we're glad, um, we're modeling something about this relationship that Jesus has with his people, an agape, responsive, loving relationship powerfully revealing who God is. Honoring one another as image-bearing men and women is also God's call for each of us, married or single. Is it any wonder then that the image of God within us as exclusive genders is under such unprecedented attack by the enemy of our souls and the world? And here's the statement that weighs on me. The church needs to prepare herself for a harvest 
of empty, hurting souls who will one day realize they have been sold a lie about sexual freedom and throwing off all gender and biological identity boundaries. God has put it on my heart to work in full-time ministry, helping the church be ready to offer real community and effectively love and guide these precious broken people to Jesus as the source of life and the great healer of hurting hearts and minds. Do you believe that? Do you remember when um, the Walter Hoving home was here? And uh, Suzanne said, I just love addicts. How many of you went, what is wrong with this woman? Did you get her? I just love them. She understands them. I had the privilege of knowing a little bit about her background. And holy mackerel, what God has done. Amazing. I just love addicts. There are people who have been sold a lie about all kinds of things in our culture. It's all over the newspaper. I've been noticing, I'm sure, that some of the decisions we're making about the use of recreational drugs are going to improve our society and make things better and the roadways safer. What are we thinking? We've been sold a bill of goods. The church needs to prepare herself for a harvest of empty, hurting souls who one day will discover they've been had. When the lights come on, when the church rises to the occasion and the spirit moves and people start looking for the answer, they will realize they've been had and they will come to the one who can purge them and free them and heal them. But here's what he says. It's vital that in the genuine interest of love, we don't remove truth. If this happens, love loses its true meaning and we affirm the practice of sin, leaving the person who has not surrendered his life to Christ inoculated to the true gospel with a false sense of assurance. This is anything but loving. In other words, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Creation and fall, blessing and cursing. God's inclination is to want to bless. He wants to bless. And lost and found. When we become found, the way we get found is by coming to the truth and letting his truth sort out our confusion and where we've been lied to, put that to death, and be rebuilt in the image that Jesus had in mind. That's what God wants to do. And he wants to do it through his church. I had another clip, but I'm not going to use it because it would be more appropriate talking about worship sometime. But any other questions on this? Uh, we've, we've covered a whole bunch of stuff and been all over the map because of your questions. Any questions? Well, we're good. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer. King Jesus... I want to thank you that you entered into a broken world. You rescued humanity by the sacrifice of yourself. Whether we can fully grasp why you would permit all this and come through it, one thing is unmistakable. You are for us. 
and you showed how for us you were by letting your very own son, the second member of the Trinity, take on human flesh and suffer death itself in our experience here in a broken and vile world, you can't have any greater commitment than that, death, burial, and resurrection to prove that your way of redemption really works. We're grateful that Jesus is alive today. We ask in the name of Jesus that if there is a part of us, as I was praying with one of my elders today, a part of us that when we see your truth and we go, I don't like that, that's what needs to change in us because your truth has been given to us to bless us, not to harm us, but to bless us. So, Father, today we desire that your blessing and your help be on your people, and that, Lord, your people would have ears to hear and hearts to obey. Here in this assembly, Lord, we want our hands on something that will be redemptive and matter for eternity. So would you help us and guide us, we ask. Put your angels around your people and keep us. In the great name of Jesus, we pray for your help. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a good day. I'll be up here willing to talk.